to talk to you about 2020, the perfect storm. I'm tired of talking about 2020 because everybody has a sore spot about it, and I'm not putting on or faking. 2020 so far has been the best year of my life. And I know that may shock you. You may go, you have lost your mind. You haven't lived yet, have you? Tomorrow I'll be 55 years old. Candace and I are moving. I will be as close to 70 years old as I am to 40. I will soon be as old as um, my mom and dad were when we got married. I'm too young to be getting old, but tomorrow it will happen. But in, Candace and I will, Candace and I, honestly, we're, this has been the best year of our marriage, the best year of our family. Um, the richest, it's been trying, it's been challenging, but I'm not putting on. It's been the greatest year of my personal walk with the Lord and the greatest year of ministry. And we're not through yet. And I think God is at work. So when I talk about the perfect storm, I'm talking about the perfect storm. Um, last week in our service, in the building, we had to have a special staff meeting on Tuesday because we're trying to get our arms around everything that's happening. Many of you don't know the story of this church, but a few years ago, the, the church almost voted to, to sell this property because the, um, the, the number of people active were shouldering the load, and um, it had dwindled down. And through a number of different things that happened in North Atlanta, because people can tend to be fickle about where they're committed and where they go to church. And the church had fallen on hard times. The summer of 2015, there was a period in the sanctuary that there was no AC. They actually had fans in here. Weeds in the parking lot, leads, uh, um, leaks in the roof. But there was a there has been a handful of people. About that time, there was about 125 people who were part of this church. So it's a long story, and I won't get into it. Many of you have heard it. But we've got a large percentage of people who are here and don't realize that story. And um, this is a Lazarus miracle that's happening in this church. And Jesus called this church at one time and just said, come forth, rise up again. And that's what's happening in here. I said all that to say we're in a unique season because last Sunday we, we ran the numbers. Somewhere between 38 and 40% of the people sitting in the sanctuary, not all the people online, which we have a healthy part of our congregation for um, wise and acceptable reasons, we support them not being here. And, and we love them, and many of them follow along, and I know there are people from other states that are watching but in the building, we had between 38 and 40% of new or brand new people. I'm talking about new since June. Most of you who are new have been coming since August, September. And um, you just have to know as a pastor, there's a number of challenges. The first is, you know, I, we, we don't aspire to be a huge church. We're a family. We're not a church. We... The Bible says, know those who labor among you. I'm going to talk about some of the dynamics of a real church. But in Pastor Munn and I, who served as the lead pastor for 34 fruitful years of this church, we've talked about, you know, those who are here and are calling this their home now, we, we, we want to be on our game just shepherding, pastoring, not winning friends and influencing people and zigzigglering. You know, we want to, we want to care for people. And so that's one of the challenges. The other challenge is it's kind of like teaching geometry. And in the middle of the year, you know, 40% of your students are move-ins. And you got to just kind of help them understand your MO and they learn to trust you and, and understand, you know, the dynamics of what God's doing and the DNA of that particular church. And so... This morning, um, I want to download just real simple, just kind of pastoral perspective for Restoration Church. And I will tell you, this isn't just for insiders. If you're here and this is your first Sunday, if you're here and this is your third Sunday, you go, I like this place, but as soon as my church opens, I just feel called to go back there. We bless that 100%. You should go back there if that's where you're called. But we understand because our crowds are exploding on Wednesday nights 
that many of you, and you've actually said it, you, you feel called to be here. This disruption of 2020, politically, nationally, locally, and, and spiritually, there's a disruption. There's a major shift happening in the American church. And we've talked some about that. And so whether you're here and going back or you're here and you think I might, this is my church, my new church, or you're here going, I'm not sure yet. What I'm going to share with you is it's critical and apropos. I think it's rhema, it's word, it's something we all need to hear specifically in this season. Now, the first thing I want to share is the word of the Lord that he gave me for this year, 2020. Um, at the end of every year, in fact, I'm praying, and I think I have the word for 2021. And it's not anything mystical or weird. It's just God puts a passage or a verse in my heart, and I don't go looking. I don't read or Google around. Sometime in that fourth quarter, the Lord will just drop something in my spirit. And I can't tell you as it marinates, how it preps me for the next year, how it gives me life and it helps me understand vision, because I don't have a vision for the church. He does, and he reveals it. And as he does that, I try to be true to it. Those of you who were here in, at the end of uh, 2019 in our New Year's Eve prayer service, and then those first eight weeks, January and February, when I preached the series, Get It. And it came from Psalm 92. In Psalm 92 in the NIV, verses 5 and 6, the psalmist says, How great are your works, Lord. How many of you could just say, let's just stop right there, that you could say with the psalmist, your works are way above average. Your works are, your works are great, Lord. How many of you could say that? <laughs> great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That means the quality of his praise should be great because he is great. And the psalm, we read through some of this stuff, and we go, okay, we're in the psalm. And, but great are your works, O Lord. Why do I say that? Because what he says. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. Don't understand what? How great your works are. How profound your wisdom is. The ESV says it like this. This, this is the Bible. Don't blame me. This goes PG. <laughs> The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. How many of you are glad you're not married to a stupid man? That was a little tepid right there, y'all. How many of you are glad you know? You get it. His works are great. The message says this. Dullards never notice what you do. Fools never do get it. Anybody know what a dullard is? It's a slow or stupid person. Don't worry, I had to look it up too. The message translation does that. But have you ever had to tell your child on something, are you ever going to get it? You know, and you, you think about certain people and you go, I, I, don't, I don't think they'll ever get it. I think God sometimes goes, Jesus with the disciples over and over and over. And before you go, well, I get it. I'll always get it. I'm kind of in the 90th percentile. Well, God bless you. Most of us aren't. In fact, nearly all of us, Jesus and the prophets said, you know, they're ever seeing but never perceiving. They hear but they don't understand. Most of us don't get it as much as we think we get it. And then it goes on to say, Later in the verse, in the, the, the passage, and these are the, the, the two verses that we really focused on. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Listen, the cedars of Lebanon are specific. Some of them have been known to have lived over 2,000 years. That's a long time. That's a long, but notice what the psalmist is saying. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. In the desert, the sand, the heat, the wind, but there's life growing up out of that hard place. And here's what I love. This is what we focused on early this year. Like a 
cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. And then I love this, especially we didn't know COVID was coming. We didn't know COVID was targeting seniors. They will still bear fruit in their old age. We've met since May 31st. At one point, there was in the high teens, somebody thought we may have had over 20 people suffering with COVID. And early on in this thing, we are going, I said, we're going to respect it. We're not going to be foolish, but we're not going to let it control us. We're going to honor the government authorities. We're not going to break any laws unless they come and tell us we can't worship. We have prayed, and not one of our people have we lost to COVID or corona. And I say it with great faith. We're not going to lose one either in the name of Jesus. They will still bear fruit in their old age. How about that, honey? Me and you, 55 years old. <laughs> Grandparents. Um, but let, let's focus in. Let me just talk a couple minutes about being planted in the house of the Lord, being rooted, grounded there. In a transient community like Atlanta, where no one is from here hardly, it's hard to find a native, where people like us tend to like anonymity. We opt to stay connected on social media, but not in real life-giving relationships. You need, brothers and sisters, to be planted you need <clears throat> to get rooted. And as a, as a father, my children, as they've grown up, we've tried to help them get rooted, grounded in their faith, to know who they are so that they could have wings one day to fly, just like you want your children. Both of my children that have moved away from here, Brandon and his wife Bethany up in Chattanooga, for a long time, Brandon and Bethany drove back down here on Sundays because they, they struggled to find a church that they felt called to. And we prayed with them. And we said, God, help them find a church locally where they can connect. And I know that a lot of times that's not easy. It's harder than you think even here in the Bible Belt. And I'm thrilled to know that they now have a place where they're rooted. Joey and Erica serving in the military out in Colorado Springs. I love Colorado Springs. Some of my favorite ministries are out there. And I begin brainwashing them as soon as you get there. Here's the first church I want you to go to. Here's the second one, if there is a second one. And, and because I want them to get rooted and plugged in. And brothers and sisters, we live in a Christian culture, in a mega church, anonymous world where none of us have accountability and where few of us in these church environments are willing to be rooted and to stay rooted, and to let our roots go down deep. But I want to tell you, people who get rooted, who get planted in good soil, they flourish, and they become fruitful. And it's a sustained fruitfulness, even in their old age. There's a lot I could say right there. How many of you want to have, I don't want a season of fruitfulness. I want a sustained season that lasts until I go to heaven. I want to see my children and grandchildren prosper in the Lord. How many of you say, that's what I want too? Amen to that. The storm last week uprooted a lot of trees. It was a bumper crop for all these tree, um, these guys that cut down trees. Um, there's a picture P.J. Hames posted of a tree, and I, if, if my upbringing in Virginia serves me right, I think that's a white oak tree. And that's not a pine tree. That's a big, tall, white oak tree. In the next picture, you can see six-foot-three Josh Hames and, and that root system. He is a little bit off in the distance. He looks more like Felix Mendez with hair, <laughs> but... But, but a hardwood with roots, we don't see hardwoods fall. 
Hardwood with roots that didn't survive the storm of 2020. Let me tell you something. This is no time to be shallow-rooted. That tree had survived probably many storms. I've been here since 89, and I remember a number of the one that touched down at Peace Tree Corners in the late 90s. That thing had survived a lot of things, but 2020 knocked it off. We're in a season, and we've talked seriously around here. We don't play church. I'm probably, I might be a little more high-octane than you're used to, but we keep it real. There's a reason why we are planted in the house of God so that we might flourish. Roots and wings. Rootedness brings fruitfulness. I feel led to say this. You know, Candace and I often reflect on we, are the, we, are, we benefit from being raised in good Christian homes. And it, we, we benefit from the generational blessing of our parents and grandparents who've gone before us. But there was a breakthrough generation. Her dad grew up in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and was the, the railroad track literally came through their backyard. His mom and dad worked shift work at a local cotton mill. And he had determined in his mind, I'm going, that's when Wake Forest University was Wake Forest College, Baptist College in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And he said, I'm going to college. And he did. And it was his grandmother who poured into him spiritually. And he became a, a breakthrough generation. Most of y'all have heard the story of my mom and dad. My dad was raised in an orphanage. His dad came in from World War II and had PTSD before we knew anything about it. And through, in a jealous rage, un, unleashed six bullets in the back of what would be my grandmother when my dad was 18 months old. But he was raised in the little Presbyterian orphanage by a godly lady who at 93 years old, as she looked back, there were pastors that she had raised in that orphanage up and down the East Coast. And my dad happened to be one. And Papa Charlie had the honor of doing her funeral. And I look back and I think of the, the people that, that were breakthrough generational consequence, generational curse breakers. And Candace and I stand here on their shoulders. And there are you, some of you, even as I'm halfway through this story, some of you go, good for you, but that is not my, that's not my story. I'm, I'm walking through generational junk, and I know it's not easy. But here's what I would say to you. Would you let the Lord plant you somewhere? If you, some of you here this morning, if you would allow the Lord to plant you in good soil and you decide you are, you are where he planted you and you are going to stay there come hell or high water, no matter what storms come, no matter what offenses come, no matter if Pastor Chuck every once in a while preaches something that I don't agree with, I'll admit, God, you've called me here. We don't see that much anymore in a transient, shallow-rooted, fickle church kind of place where people don't go to serve or to be where they're called. They go where they want to go for various and sundry reasons. But I'm here to tell somebody this morning, the word of the Lord for 2020 in this church was, I'm planting you because you're going to flourish like the cedars of Lebanon. Some of you, your children and grandchildren are hanging in the balance. Some of you are, you are right now, this morning, you're making a decision. You're hearing the word of the Lord and you're saying, I'm going to respond to that. And your children and grandchildren are going to stand on your shoulders and the sky is the limit if you will let the Lord plant you. Now, every solid Christian I know is surrounded 
by solid Christians. Ones who stay solid and they're sustained through good times and bad times. The ones that are sustained through the bad times and don't cash out, mail it in, give up. Those that make it through those 2020 perfect storms that the enemy plans are ones who are surrounded by like-minded people who hold them up. And that's how God designed us. So this anonymous, shallow, sneak-in, sneak-out, desperado, lone ranger faith is not what God has intended for any of us. Can I get a witness this morning? Tell somebody next to you, he's not talking about me, he's talking about those people behind us. Tell them. Now, I, I want to encourage everybody, if you just, the Lord gave, the, think about the Lord giving that to us and us not knowing what this season had. And here we sit, while most of the world, and even the church world, is enduring a famine at some level. And God's favor has been poured out on us in every way. We're rooted, grounded. The second thing I want to talk to you about, okay, this is, I told you, this is kind of like a, a family meeting. So item number two on the agenda is this. I want to talk to you about the pastor-shepherd role. Because we don't, I understand now the body doesn't see spiritual leadership like that much anymore. Because our churches are too big. We live in a unique community and it's happening all over the world. And so we, we don't understand or see that modeled much. Um, shepherds lead sheep. Sheep are not the brightest animals out there. They will stay, they like to be alone. They're alone. They don't even realize they're alone. And the wolves eat them up. They're designed to be in a flock. And as a flock, they can't protect themselves. Somebody, it's literally proven that a sheep or lamb will stay outside in the rain and, and drown to death before he'll come in under a covering. And um, I don't mean that sheep, listen to me. You're going, you calling me a sheep? <laughs> now, I'm not saying, but here's what I am saying. What we have to see in sheep is not their low spiritual IQ, but we have to see this. Um, their vulnerability. Sheep are vulnerable. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without fully alive like Christ. Now the Lord has given leadership gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to build up the body, to, that the body might be mature and effective and fruitful. Now 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says this, the calling of the shepherd is to be compassionate shepherds who tenderly care for God's flock and who feed them well. For you have the responsibility to guide, protect, and oversee. Consider it a joyous pleasure and not merely a religious duty. Lead from the heart under God's leadership, not as a way to gain finances dishonestly, but as a way to eagerly and cheerfully serve. Don't be controlling tyrants, but lead others by your beautiful examples to the flock. Now, on being a pastor... I remember when I shared with my mom and dad that I was, I felt called into full-time vocational ministry. And there was this nervous congratulations, like welcome to the club, you know. And not too long ago, one of my sons made us aware of it. And on one hand, I'm, 
I'm so proud. And on the other, I am just so concerned. Because being a pastor, I know y'all have tough jobs too. I'm not belittling yours. I just want you to understand spiritual leadership because I think it's critical. Um, being a pastor is like having another family, big family, whose health depends on the health of his primary family. But there is, so out of the overflow of the pastor's personal family and its health, and this is biblical, the church is healthy. Now, if a church is growing and looks shiny and um, entertaining and enticing, but the, fam the pastor's family and marriage isn't good, it won't be sustained. But when, when the pastor's family is strong and solid and that marriage is strong and solid, that's why Candace and I are committed and we are, I am submitted to people who can speak into my life and she can call and tell them, you need to talk to him. He said this. He did that. And I walk under that covering. And, I, and being, you know, we already have a large family with seven children and three dogs. And, and then to pastor a church, on being a pastor, this is why, you know what, if nothing else comes out of this, I just hope you'll start praying. Feel sorry for me. Pray for me, you know. <laughs> So I want to be fruitful. I'd like to be the most prayed for pastor in America. Even if you think, that poor guy, he needs prayer. I don't care, just as long as you're praying. But let me ask you something. Do you know how important it is for you and your family to have a shepherd? It's critical. Do you know how important it is for you to have a church family? Many people underestimate the importance of this. And I've told you before, you know, sheep, the flock is over here. There's, there's sheep that just stay up close to the shepherd and they realize that's where all the safety and the warmth is and the love. And he pats me on the head every once in a while. And then there's those little rebellious sheep. They're just like, and they go, man, ADD sheep, you know. And the wolf, that's the ones, that's breakfast for the wolf. And for those who understand the health and safety is not out here. It's in there. I would be, if I was a sheep, I would be saying, okay, there's my shepherd. Excuse me, excuse me. Excuse me. I'd be staying up close. Because we need to understand the importance of protection. Jesus in John 10 gives us the perfect model for shepherding, and it's the model for pastors in John 10, verse 3, the B part, in verse 4, it says this. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I want you to see the intimate connection in relationship. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Listen, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And I know their name. I was so encouraged, by the way. Um, do you know I've heard from six families who went to Ray's since last Sunday and got a cheeseburger? <laughs> Steve Allen got to Ray's burger. You're going, some of y'all are here for the first time going, Ray's. It doesn't even, it's not even spelled properly, but it's the best hamburger in all of Atlanta. It's um, right between Brewster's and the old Arby's over there by the Roswell High School. How many of you have been set free and delivered by a raised cheeseburger? <laughs> and it's an Indian guy making an American cheeseburger, and it's the best one in Atlanta. Well, you know, it's an Indian coming in, taking our stuff and perfecting it. It's okay. Relax. We have Indians here. They're showing us how to do it. Am I right, Roshan? Am I right, Dr. Shine Joseph? But I'm glad to know you're listening to. Even if it is only, you're living like the devil, but you're eating the right stuff that I tell you. John chapter 10, Jesus says this, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Verse 27 and 8, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. All these verses in that one passage Listen to what, what collectively what Jesus is saying. My sheep recognize my voice. 
I know their name. They follow me. And in that relationship, they have life, eternal life. You might remember, it's in this passage that Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, have it more abundantly, have it to the full. My sheep, hear me. Let me I want to get just very real and not self-serving or presumptuous, but we need to talk about this. There are people here. One lady caught me yesterday morning after prayer and said, my first Wednesday night, I was sitting in the lobby, out eating the family meal with the rest of the church, and I was fighting back tears because she said, I found my people. There is something, we do things uniquely around here. We're, our goal is not to grow a big church. It doesn't impress God. It doesn't motivate me. Big churches become big problems. We are here to grow big people who are big in the understanding of their purpose and their calling, who understand how the kingdom works, not the little kingdom. The kingdom works. We, when I first came back, it was like, you know what? We're all in North Atlanta. You know, some of us live 30 minutes that way. Some of us live 30 minutes that way. And we... We said, you know what? Let's start eating together on Wednesday nights. We'll prepare a meal from 6 to 7. I mean, you're talking about old school. Long story short, we've been doing that for over three years now. And we try to make it easy. But, and we try to make it good. And it usually is really good. But the point is not the food. The point is that the, the sheep, not only do, does the shepherd know their name, they get to know each other's names. And that's how we do family. And you may go, man, that's just too much for me. That's okay. You may be here this morning going, I just came to hear a sermon. That's okay. There's others of you who you are here. And listen, your first time or second time, you started hearing, not me. You started hearing your shepherd. You started hearing God speak to you in a way that you haven't. And promise you, it's okay. Those of you who are going, I don't get what you're talking about. That it, I'm not talking to you right now. But most of you are here because there is a homothumadon. There is a getting in one accord supernatural thing going on in the disruption of 2020. And the perfect storm from hell has become the perfect storm from heaven. And God is doing something unique in this place. And while some of you go, I hear, I hear something. And it may be the first time you've ever heard that. And, and we do, I do things old school, crazy. I mean, there's no, nothing entertaining about this. Nothing original, creative. It says, Pastor Chuck's prayer album, Restoration Church Family. And the Lord put it on my heart. Last year, there are families here. Right there's Brent and Vicki Bouchard. Savannah and Lily, and I pray over this, and I call everybody in the picture, if, I, if you write their name, I pray over them regularly. And what I didn't do is, we didn't make it our job to go and find a picture on Facebook and get your name. If you were here, you may remember, I said to everybody, I'm not gonna, if you don't give me your picture of your family with your names, I ain't praying for you. It's that easy. I love you, but I ain't praying for you. Because here's what I said. We've been so served and set around, and we don't do anything. I'm like, if you don't get a picture to me, then either you don't believe in the power of prayer or you don't believe in my prayer. And I don't know. For some, it may be both. And God and I both are offended, but that's okay. You won't get prayed for. But I promise you, you're looking at a pastor who believes in the power of prayer. And when I pray, I often work up a sweat. And when I pray, my faith gets engaged. And you may think this is all cute and that's a little church growth trick. Let me tell you, that is not what this is about. We're living in the Bermuda Triangle, the Fulton County DA said, of heroin usage. When are you going to get tired of our 
homes that are moms and dads independently wealthy living on five and 10 acres in Milton and Crabapple, gated communities, children fine in their 10th grade, football players, cheerleaders, honor roll students on their way to Georgia Tech, and all of a sudden their life fell apart. I'm an old youth pastor. I've raised seven children in North Atlanta. There have been times I didn't like this community. I wanted to move to the mountains, a small town where I was, grew up. The Lord planted us here, and we are called to be here. And you're, I'll fight the wolves for you. I'll, I'll stand with you and hold your arms up. We have a staff that we're on the front lines. And 2020, what's happening, listen, we're all being awakened, not to stuff that's new. We're being awakened to things that have been going on. We have an adversary. Jesus said it right in the middle of this passage. You should know I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. Brothers and sisters, we're in a battle. We are in a battle, and we must fight spiritually. Listen, no more being re religious and pharisaical and like the Sadducees who are, they, they're right the wrong way. We need a, a revival of humility and brokenness where we realize we might have our degrees and our 401k. We might be type A and have more cars and we can put tags on the fastest, nicest car in the neighborhood. We need to realize we are destitute, broken, lifeless without Jesus in our lives. You should realize how desperate we really are. Come on, if you're going to praise the name of Jesus, praise him like you mean it. We praise you, Lord. I'm going to move on. And I just want to, Paul said this when he was considering all of the immorality in the church at Corinth. All of the, you know, you, many of you don't realize, they, they were bragging on the fact that they were so forgiving the church at Corinth, that they had a young man who had married his father's wife, had sexual relations with his stepmother. And they were like, aren't we a gracious, loving body of believers? And Paul corrected that. He said, that's gross, immorality in the church. And Paul said that and a number of other things that are poor balance if I've ever felt God's anointing, I feel it right now. Listen, we've been fed a line. We haven't seen a New Testament church, many of us. And Paul said, here's the problem. You might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you have not many fathers. You got guys getting rich off of their celebrity following, but do you have anybody that smells like sheep? Do you have anybody willing to father others? This church may not be for you, and that's okay. We're getting after the kingdom of God. We, we believe accountability, closeness, prayer, committing to being in God's word, being accountable to each other, holding each other accountable, not just looking and sounding religious, but having the aroma of Christ come out of our life. Are y'all out there this morning? Come on, are y'all out there? Turn and tell somebody. I think he's talking about me now. Now the last thing I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this and we're gonna close. Um, this is how this relates to this week and this election and the election results and ever how you view it, it's, it's not over. Um, and I know some people, it, it doesn't matter. This is not, I want to say this. We are not in a Republican and Democrat, Joe Biden, Donald Trump war. That is not what we're in. It's not at all what we're in. Can I get a witness? And thank God, thank God that's not what it is. But we are in, we're in a battle for the soul of our nation. 
Whoever goes into the White House, we need an absolute miracle. And it's not going to be political speak and pretty white smiles and the right phrases that are going to bring unity. It's not going to happen. We're at a place that it's a dangerous, desperate place. And if the wrong group is unhappy, who knows what's going to happen on our streets? I don't say that to alarm you. I say that to get your attention so that you can get focused because God has sent us a perfect storm. But we have to realize who our enemy is, who our adversary is, whose side we're on. Just that would be a massive breakthrough for the American church. If we could just realize whose side we're on. Um, and I think in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, don't go there yet. Don't pull up the scriptures because I want everybody, I want to have everybody's attention. This is somewhat of a history lesson. And, and when you go, Pastor Chuck, I get so lost in Old Testament history. I'll try to simplify it as much as I can. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 was talking about all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament. And he said, these things happened for our examples. And it was Mark Twain that said, one thing we learned from history is that we haven't learned anything from history. And right now, evil, broken history is trying to repeat itself again. And we need to be aware and now, before you get all sanctimonious and think, I know, we just need more conservatives in the world. That's not what we need. What we need are more people who are kingdom-minded in the world. Well, you, you make, Pastor, most of those are conservative. Drop your labels at the door. We're all Jesus people here. Democrats and Republicans may neither one get to heaven. Now I got your attention. <laughs> when we get to heaven, we're all going to be children of God. So in the Old Testament, Israel wanted a king. They didn't have a king. I'm, this is the message. This is for church people right now, okay? People who love Jesus. And I know many of you, your hearts are broken. And it's not over. It's not what it's about. What, it, I, I, what I do think is if... We continue to want an earthly king first, it's over. If we continue to care more about who goes in the White House than who's lifted high in the church house, it's over. And yes, I'm, I am speaking to all of us. There's been too many people praying in 2020, especially in the last three months. Thousands of people gathering in D.C. with Jonathan uh, Kahn and others. Sean Foyt in Baton Rouge and last night in New Orleans. Thousands of people worshiping in all of these war-torn cities. There, there's too much calling out to heaven for help for God to not be inner involved and here's what I believe I think I shared this on Wednesday night right now God is being so intentional it's amazing if you think he's caught off guard sleeping doesn't care doesn't answer prayer anymore you couldn't be further from the truth he is being very intentional and as always things are contingent upon this house, the church. Will the church be the church? There was a perfect storm. Many churches haven't been together for months. You think the enemy had nothing to do with that? He had everything to do with that. But the church is finding a way to get together with the church. And the church, as I shared with you last week, I don't know how much of this I'm going to get to, but I, I just feel I, I want to share from my heart. Um, as I shared last week, everybody look here. Jesus said to the disciples, who do men say I am? What are they saying on Fox, CNBC, CSP? What are they saying about who I am? And the disciples said, oh, man, the word on the street is you're Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. That's a special group 
Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus said there's not been any, but any, no human born of a woman better than him. Than John the special. And then Jesus said that, that's not the real question. The real question is, who do you say I am? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's the most important question that you will ever answer. Who do you say I am? And right now, the American church is being asked that question. Who do you say he is? Because some of us thought we knew. Some of us have had a religious experience. Some of us don't have real faith roots to sustain us in storms like we're going through. But Simon Peter had a moment of divine revelation. It was a rhema spiritual aha moment. He said, I think you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Terms reserved for the Messiah. I think you're the anointed one. You are sent from heaven. You're God's son. And Jesus said, Simon Peter, Sunday school didn't teach that to you. My father revealed that to you. And I... I feel in this room right now, there, there are dozens of us, we need a fresh revelation that, listen, Jesus isn't one of the prophets. Jesus isn't a good teacher only. He is not like Elijah, John the Baptist. He doesn't fit in the world religions of paths to get to the Father. He is Emmanuel the living son of God. He is the righteous redeemer, the lion of the tribe of Judah, day star, lily of the valley, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, king of kings, Lord of lords, our soon returning king. Listen, that's who he is. And you need to have, no matter who's in the White House, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's on the news, no matter, listen, how much they're trying to brainwash us. I know the one who is sovereign, who reigns and rules in majesty, in love and grace and mercy. Let me ask you, do you know him like that? And you go, that's just not my style. Okay. But do you know that you know that you know? This is what's being exposed in the American church. Do we know? I don't know. You probably know who I hope goes in the White House. And I probably know who you hope goes in the White House. And neither one of them may go in the White House. The only one I'm concerned about is if Nancy Pelosi goes in the White House. <laughs> Let's be honest. You are too, aren't you? <laughs> Democrats, y'all know. Tell the truth. You won't say it out loud, but you, you feel the same way. But here's the deal. And listen, I believe this. I mean this with all my heart. Why, Pastor Chuck, can you have so much assurance? One of the toughest classes I had in seminary was the history of Christianity. Listen to me. I never understood. Jesus, why did you come while your people were under Roman oppression? I remember thinking, that just why did God do it that way? And you didn't deliver them. You didn't kick Caesar out of the Oval Office. You could have. This thing would have just flourished. You know, Psalm 106 talks about, you know, you better hope God doesn't give you everything you want because you will have a leanness in your soul. Your, if you get everything you want, your soul will be empty. But what did Jesus do? He didn't overthrow Rome. We've talked about that last two, last week and then on Wednesday night. But here's the deal. Do you know at the year 100 AD, there were 25,000 Christians in the world in an empire of 40 million people? And the Christian faith was spreading. The Bible says in Acts, daily God was adding to their numbers. 
How many of you love to be a part of a faith movement again in biblical Christianity where daily, the, not the spirit of addition, but the spirit of multiplication comes? Come on, how many of you will agree God still cares about lost people? And this whole thing right now is about getting more lost people found and on their way to heaven. The church was exploding. There were no seminaries. They had no Bibles. They were being persecuted. They had no religious freedoms. And 200 years later, the year 300 AD, there were 20 million Christians in the world. Do y'all understand that as a movement? That is explosive growth. And they were exploding until Constantine, the emperor in Rome, got saved. He was the only Roman emperor to come to Christ. He did it on his deathbed. Do you know what he did? The Edict of Milan in 313 AD. He said, let's make persecuting Christians illegal. Let's start giving them governmental programs and help them build buildings called churches and a number of other things that domesticated the faith. And Christianity has never recovered the same kind of explosive growth in 1,700 years, except for in China, right? China, right now. It's exploding. And in Iran, are you familiar with what's going on in the middle? Over 50% of the pastors are women. Maybe we need more women pastors in America. And all the sisters said, now he's talking. <laughs> Where y'all at, Patty? I'm, you're sitting up here on the front row with your new husband all sitting there all love burden. <laughs> Listen, maybe... There's a perfect storm, and you're already going, oh, does that mean so-and-so's going in the White House? Here's the deal. If Trump goes in the White House and you go, thank God, four more years of religious freedom, four more years of, four more years, four more, and you, you're more excited about that than is God's presence in this place. Or you go, Biden, yes, finally we got rid of that crazy maniac. And you're more elated about that than you are concerned about the powerless, domesticated Christian church. How many of you want the perfect storm turned into the perfect storm? Are y'all tracking with what I'm saying? That where, what, what movie was it, the animated movie where the, the um, animals were in the zoo? Madagascar. Anybody see it? They're sitting around going, this is so awesome. We get ribeye and T-bone and they turn the lights out. If you, you ought to see it. But the one zebra, I can't remember his name. He's like, I was made for more than this. Look at you guys. You're dying in here. And they said, you'll die out there. And he said, I'd much rather die out there than die in here. The chances are out there I might thrive. Whew. How many of you want to get undomesticated? You want that perfect storm? Come on, stand with me this morning, everybody. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Psalm 20, verse 6 and 7 says this. I want this to be your mantra as we leave here this morning. There's a lot I could say about Israel wanting a king. And they got one. 1 Samuel 9 says, He was handsome and head and shoulders taller than everybody else in all of Israel. God said, You haven't rejected your prophet. You've rejected me. And I'll give you a king, but you're going to regret ever wanting a king. Look here, brothers and sisters. They said, we want a king because all the other nations have kings. Why do you want a king? 
because he will protect us. And he, they say this in 1 Samuel 9. Listen, he will lead us into battle. He will bring victory in our battles. And God said, I haven't brought you victory. I delivered you. Do you not remember Jericho, the Red Sea, the Jordan River? Do you not remember? We want a king. It'll help Wall Street. They'll have a figurehead. And we'll fit into the rest. And God's saying, no, I told you when I brought you out, I'm going to carry you like a, an eagle carries her little eaglets. I'm going to show the whole world my love in how I relate with you. Now, we want a king. Let me ask you this morning. Do you want a king or do you want a king? I think I know the answer. I can see the look on your faces. Let me tell you. Psalm says in chapter 20, verse 6 and 7, Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Read this with me out loud. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. How many of you can say, that's who I trust in? Come on, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. His name is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, I read yesterday, it was my last time being on Facebook. And I don't know when I'll go back. I'm just not in the right mind for it yet. I'll probably go back, but just not right now. I had, I'm on a bunch of different ministry groups. And, and one guy who is progressive in his thinking, he said, I feel sorry for evangelicals. They've embarrassed themselves. And something, evangelicals, the five core beliefs, we, we believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, born of a virgin. The Bible is true. The cross is how we, and, and, and five beliefs that we, and I thought, no need to feel sorry for evangelicals. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Like more than okay. Pastor Chuck, are you trying to hype us up and pump us up? Mm -mm. If you know he's the Christ, the son of the living God, you already know. Don't, don't spend your energy waste worrying about evangelicals. Well, how do you know, Pastor Chuck? Because God is working. Like, God is bringing... He's got John MacArthur and Charismatics in California together. I know most of y'all don't know what that even means. He said Charismatic Pentecostals are of the devil. And now God's got them together working against the governor in California. You may see that as unique or coincidental. Evangelicals are going to be okay. Because we see a victory. It's coming. We're in, hear me, I prophesy right now. We're in the weeks, maybe months, of a tipping point in the spirit realm. We are in a tipping point where we're getting ready to cross into a new season that will be unlike anything we've ever known. And you won't be able to go back to the old. We're in a tipping point. How many of you can't wait for it to just tip all the way over? Come on, lift your voices. We praise you, Lord. Let's sing this out and declare it in victory. Gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm 
going to unite Holy Spirit is going to move and prepare the way of the Lord the church is coming into its finest hours I'm talking to some of you that you're having a hard time believing it he takes what the enemy meant for evil he works it for our good listen he's done it all through scripture on Friday night and Saturday morning of Easter weekend the whole world thought it's over and they were that close to the breakthrough event in all of human history might we be that close and that's why the enemy is trying to wreak havoc in fury because Satan doesn't lose well how many of you believe he takes the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Come on, now sing to him. You take. Oh, you take the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Oh, you take what the enemy meant for evil. In your life, you turn it for good. Thank you, Jesus. And you turn it for good. to you Lord you you are the leader you're the captain of the host this is your church you're the shepherd you're the head you are the leader we submit to you you're calling your church to awaken and we thank you for this holy disruption and we thank you father for the freedom of 
being drawn and worried about getting back to so-called normal. We thank you, Father, that there is a new and better improved normal and that you are awakening the church and truly what the enemy meant for evil corporately and personally, you're going to use it for your good and for our good. We are the redeemed of the Lord, the army of God. He has poked the bear, and the bear is awakening, and we thank you, Lord, for this season. God wants some of you right now. Just tell the Lord, thank you for this season and everything you're showing me and teaching me, everything you're doing in the world. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. If you study a history of Christianity, listen, nothing great ever happens without massive turmoil. And usually right before the greatness is revealed, it looks like things are spinning out of control. Hang in there, brothers and sisters. God is working in our world in Jesus' name. Can I get a witness? How many of you love the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Y'all have a great afternoon. Don't forget, plug in to one of the people groups tonight. Stop by the booth and help us sign up to serve the community with Bio Tree, Change a Life, and Operation Christmas Child. We love you.